Welcome to Working 9 to Thrive, a show about career, community, and creativity. I'm your host, Janet McKenna-Lowry. I'll be talking with architect, designer, and feng shui expert, Kendra Gardner, about how energy fills a space and how we interact with it. But first, a review of the book, Creativity Rules, Get Ideas Out of Your Head and Into the World by Tina Sealing. Dr. Sealing is executive director of the Knight Hennessy Scholars Program. She's a professor of practice in the Department of Management Science and Engineering at Stanford University. She also directs a ventures program for Stanford and the Entrepreneurship Center at the School of Engineering again for Stanford. All right, so that's those are her bona fides. It's a weird little book. I'll just start with that. It is a weird little book that doesn't know what it is. There's a bit in the very beginning that I thought, oh, this is what I want from this book. And she talks about an art history professor at Harvard doing an exercise where students are to observe a painting for a ridiculously long amount of time. And honestly, this is not anybody that's ever taken art history is not going to find this an unusual exercise to do. So it's kind of interesting that Selig sort of seems to think that this is just brilliant. I mean, I took art history a very long time ago and we did this, but the description of it is really good. And the, and the, why it works the way it does. I mean, I did the exercise. We just sort of took it as a thing that we do. I liked the meta analysis of it. And at this end of my life, what I really liked was things like the acknowledgement that being bored while doing a noticing exercise that is supported is incredibly enriching. It unlocks a lot of our creativity. It's great for better thinking. It's kind of like meditation, but the professor has assigned it. And so you are, in fact, supported in doing it. And I mean that in a couple ways. Number one, with that professor, you're going to go over what you did. You're going to have some, you're probably going to have to prove that you did it by writing something. You're going to have to do some kind of formal analysis. Number two, your business when you were at school, your job when you were at school is to do the assignments. It's really hard to do this when you're not in school. So one of the ways to sort of persuade yourself to do it is to understand how deeply it can affect you, how well it can unlock other things for you. Essentially, you're putting aside time for it the way you might put aside time for meditation or for physical education. And this would be an awesome book if this was what this book was, but it is not what this book is. <laughs> What this book is, is super business centered. And I'm not actually, I'm, I'm not actually against that. I have contradictory thoughts about it because business books are a dime a dozen and this one doesn't stand out. I guess that's kind of it, but I don't, I'm not anti-business at all. In fact, I'm very pro-commerce. I'm very pro-creative commerce. I'm very pro creatives making money off their own creations. And I'm very supportive of business owners and entrepreneurs 
understanding how unleashing their own creativity and the creativity of the humans that they bring in is the way to make a better world. I just don't have any evidence to the contrary. And I have plenty of evidence that when you don't do that, you make the world a worse place. So I'm all, I'm fine with business. I'm fine with business education. I'm fine with, I'm not going to say I'm fine with capitalism because I think unfettered capitalism, this kind of weird late stage wild west thing we have is a distortion of what capitalism could be at which must be regulated. I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any way to have healthy non-toxic capitalism without thoughtful, powerful regulation because it just takes over everything. But that's a different story. But that's how I feel about business. That's how I feel about commerce. I'm not really against it, but I kept coming back to it in this book of being like, well, it's just back about entrepreneurship again. There's a bit about teaching entrepreneurship to people in prison, for example, teaching people to be entrepreneurial. Here's the thing. The guys in that prison, I bet most of them are entrepreneurial. I bet they are way more entrepreneurial than the general population. And I remember this came up when I was getting my MBA. One of the women in the class said, how does what we're talking about, how does it fit when we're talking about things like drug running? They are incredibly, murderously efficient businesses. And the professor was like, we're not going to talk about anything illegal, which I get, but mostly I got a sense of fear from him because in fact, entrepreneurship, where you make a buck, find a way to make a buck. Everybody poor does that, can do that. They just can, they just do. But, and this is true with guys in the prison, what support do they have? They rarely have access to capital and certainly not to legal capital. They rarely have administrative support. They, they don't have much in the way of tax support, of sort of systemic support, and they do have a huge weight of systemic undermining, whether it's racism, sexism, uh, this huge desire of our very large government to placate rich corporations, all of whom have a vested interest in, in suppressing little businesses Yes, that's where they get their next ideas. Yes, they buy out little businesses. That's not my point. My point is that they do have a vested interest in being in control of all that. So they don't have the support. And certainly poor people don't. Marginalized people don't. And just because you can do a class at the prison where guys are like, oh, it'd be really great if we could have this, you know, way for ex-cons to get housing. That's awesome, and I hope they make it, but I don't know what kind of support they're going to get once they have this idea. She actually brings up Richard Branson, and yeah, let's look at Richard Branson. Dyslexic, did terribly in school, didn't get further education, but the education he did get was prep school. This is how guys like this, a white high upper middle class prep school educated he got momentum there's no addressing 
any of this in this book. They're just sort of put out at face value. These guys did it, and so can you. Learning entrepreneurship, and I think Branson's also an excellent example of this, it's almost pointless because having access to real, fundamental, actual support to make it as a small business, most small businesses fail. Yeah, why is that? Why is it that Branson's kept being success, 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 success? Because he's special? Because he's sainted? Because there's prosperity gospel? Because he's better than you? Because he had more faith? Why? Or because he was able to leverage all sorts of networks and the system was set up so that guys like him could do very, very well? What kind of access to support? What kind of small business committed political system is there? Because that's huge. And we can look through history for tons of examples of a a U.S. government that wanted to foster small businesses right after all the collapse of the Gilded Age. We have this golden age of small business and innovation because we made a government that was supportive of that kind of behavior. Okay, so... This book is also super, super, super. I mean, what else could I expect from Stanford? What else could I expect from Silicon Valley? Very white, very middle-class centered, zero awareness of systemic challenges or issues. She doesn't address them. It's like they're invisible. She has a thing on making stories, and the story she has is this one of the invention cycle. Again, if you're looking for creativity in a book on creativity, that's not what this is. This book is how to be an entrepreneur and how important it is to be creative. I, I don't think anyone would ever argue this point with her, frankly, but okay. She has a story of the invention, the invention cycle. Imagination, which is engagement and envisioning. Then creativity, which is motivation and experimentation. Then innovation, which is focusing and reframing. But what does that second one really mean? She doesn't really talk about that. Reframing, as I've observed it in both print and real life, is often your, put it in quotation marks, whatever mentors you can find, if you can find capital, if you can find investors, them saying this thing that you wanted to make work doesn't work for us. We want a faster profit, so do it different go into a different industry. Uh, the one that comes to mind is a business that was to read radiologic images faster and more accurately. But investors said, that'll take too long. We can't get it into the medical space. I mean, the risk was too much for them. So instead, let's retool it for some other industry and go there. And and it leached the passion for the people involved out of it. They had wanted to help sick people, not do stuff with images. Okay. So that's reframing, I guess. Mm, Not really sure what her point is on that one. And then ending in entrepreneurship, which she describes as persistence and the ability to inspire. Yeah, right. It's not a circle, though. She has it illustrated as a circle, but there is a beginning and an end to that. You can't just start in the middle. You can't start at innovation, go to entrepreneurship, go back to imagination, and end up at creativity. 
Then she says it's a virtuous cycle, and that's true. Start at the beginning, go to the end, and if you are lucky, supported, and have the right people around you, and have the ability to continue to have the right people around you, and encourage those people to be creative, you can create a virtuous circle. And if you do, yay for you, good for you. I don't know that that would describe a lot of the case studies she's bringing up, though. I don't know that that describes Richard Branson. I guess as a personal guy, it has, because he went from music to airlines to mobile. But I don't know that he's inspired that virtuous cycle in others particularly. Anyway, it is an ideal, but I don't think this is a reality. This book has a ton of biz school, Silicon Valley type, rah, rah, rah. And I say this as a huge fan of people like her example, Sal Khan. I would even argue that Khan is a bad example given the other example she has or is an outlier given the other example she has. Sal Khan of Khan Academy did the thing for no business reasons whatsoever. So he didn't go out and sell records because he was doing a business and selling records. That's, that's not what he did. He was helping his niece or nephew with math and their friends said, that was really helpful. Could you help us? And then he was helping lots of people. And after a while, he thought, well, I wonder if I could help a lot of people all at once. That is not what she's really talking about here. Like, it's almost because of Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is a, you know, ginormous blind spot with a little focus in the middle. Because of that, they want to have a story of that that's how the world works. There's a big libertarian streak out there and stuff like that. But he was in service first. And yeah, you could say he was creative. Of course he was creative, but he wasn't creative to be an entrepreneur. He wasn't an entrepreneur. He was helping others. He was a human. He was being a very human human, helping other people, being a good human, being a kind uncle. And it's just when it got to a certain size that he said, oh, I wonder if there's a better way to do this, a more efficient way to do this. And then creativity kicked in and then it became sort of an entrepreneurial thing for him and he runs the business. I think Khan Academy is a way more sustainable model than what she's talking about. And I don't think she can take credit for it under the other kinds of case studies she does here. The other thing like, you could easily read this book by reading seven or eight articles in Wired or Fortune, literally anywhere. And that's the narrative, and I don't understand why I'd be interested in seeing it in a book. And nobody, and I've noticed this a lot lately, nobody who writes these business books really understands how fragile these books are, how sandcastle-like they are. Because today, you plug Theranos, and you say how great, how creative, this thing is wonderful. Tomorrow, you'll be listening to Elizabeth Holmes' testimony in her massive investor fraud case. 
the timeline that things work on, the timeline of what looks like success, doesn't lend itself to this urge that this kind of popular business wants to say about success. At some point, I'd like to do a part of a podcast on just that because it is really interesting how it works. This book is this book. So she has those things, engage, envision, motivate, experiment, focus, reframe, you know, the whole innovation cycle. Okay. I did like some things. Take out the trash, which is a version of keep a list, but she doesn't include neurodiversity in it, which is too bad. I found that advice, it was framed differently for me. When when I was given the advice, it was, you will always have a dynamic list of ideas, of things you want to do, of things that are interesting to you. Honor that list, keep that list, but understand that you will go mad if you try to, you, you can't possibly have enough time to do all the ideas on that list. So expect a few to float to the top and work on two or three at a time. And understand that would be true of your creative life as well. So sometimes things on my list have been singing, doing a lot of singing or doing a lot of stage acting. Right now, they're not there at the top, but they are still on the list. And that lets me go through my life without feeling like I've given things up. I just know that they go down a little bit. So this trash compactor, not super helpful for me because... I suffer a lot when I feel like I'm never going to do things that I did enjoy and would like to enjoy again. The idea that I'll never do them again is actually kind of depressing for me. She's into the hustle culture, even as she says you can't be truly creative with it. Like the exercises at the end of each chapter, they're at odds with the premise. It can't decide if it's a biz book or a creativity book. There's weird tension between those. And some of the exercises just feel like this is how you'll hustle better. There is nothing in this book about creativity for self-renewal. Creativity to be the fullest human you can possibly be. I mean, that's fine, I guess. She wrote the book. She can write the book. But it also feels dehumanizing. I've seen it referred to as a handbook. It's not a handbook at all. And in terms of her sort of gig about entrepreneurship and creativity, what does success look like? What does it look like in creativity? What does it look like in entrepreneurship? When do you get to decide what success looks like in any of this? And honestly, you could just use the bibliography of this book and get better info from all of it. Mixing them together like she does, doesn't make any of them better. In fact, it's somebody once said, together we are less than the whole, as a as a joke about a set of meetings, is absolutely right. That's what this feels like. She name checks uh, Covey, famous business writer. And then I do love, I mean, this felt kind of nice, is that she was name checking books that I really admire, like The Art of Possibility by Benjamin Zander and Rose Zander. That's awesome. Go read that. You'll get something out of that. You won't get it out of this. She has a tendency, and I'm I'm vulnerable to this too. I'm really happy to know this word. 
neurobabble. Just because we can read studies about brain imaging that sees things in the brain doesn't mean that what is showing up has the meaning ascribed to it. Things light up in the brain and we can say, oh, it's because I just showed you a photo of a kitten. Your brain didn't light up, but then I showed you the photo of the kitten and now it is lighting up. That must mean the photo of the kitten caused it to light up. That's certainly something to experiment with, but there is no way we can say that with the kind of certainty that we tend to. That's how neurobabble works. So you could have just been lighting up for other reasons. Maybe you're thirsty. Maybe you suddenly had a memory of something. Maybe your toe itches. So neurobabble is this kind is is a set of narratives itself. Fun VR experiences she talks about, like giving people a tale. How does that feed us into creativity? Here, she just uses it to reframe problems, something you really don't need a tale for. She talks about different lenses, which again is part of reframing, and it's certainly not a bad exercise to do with students. I think that's awesome. But anybody that's had any life experience, this is not going to help you with it. She actually talks about Sleep No More, which is a punch-drunk theater production. Go to one of those. That's not entrepreneurship. That is deep human creativity. That's a theatrical experience you will never forget. And it's deep, and it's thoughtful, and it's meaningful. So nothing to do with her topic really at all. What it really made me realize, sort of brought home, Silicon Valley is a desperately surface experiment. A story that it refuses to acknowledge about itself. And all of the systems that support it or want to get in on it, by which I mean business schools that think that they can educate and replicate, for example, Richard Branson, who never went to college or business school, that they can somehow evade the systems that work against people and magic creativity into an education place. I Listen, there is no reason to not have creativity be a major focus of how we educate people in this and all countries. But to jump to the inference that it will make for better entrepreneurs is not something that you can jump to. It's not a conclusion you can jump to. Even if it is very cool that Stanford has set up a program in the hopes that it will. I think it will make the people involved, I think it has the potential, all of that has a potential to make the people involved better human beings because we are already unbelievably, astonishingly, breathtakingly creative. So recognizing that, honoring that, respecting that should be done 
I'm going to say K through 12 plus college, but that is not enough. It should be birth through death. There should be honoring that creativity and supporting systemically that creativity at nursing homes. We should be doing that kind of honoring creativity all along. Again, this is the stuff the Xanders cover. So you're better off reading that. <laughs> you're not going to get nearly as much from this as you are from that, because that really is a book about deep creativity, about creativity as it feeds the human experience. And this isn't. And the surface side of Silicon Valley, the one that says, we risk all the money, but we can't have any risk. The one that wants it all. The one that says that it's out there for the little guy. The one that says it is pretty much the same as the 1910s and innovation, but turns around and sues or buys out anyone that's trying to make it. They don't reach behind them and lift up. They don't foster Facebook, for example, is just a massive predatory company at this point. No different than Robber Barons. It doesn't like that story. The surface is the surface, and we need to start getting a really good grip in a bigger sense. Books like these, but also magazines, everything else, on that surface story and say, call it out for just being the desperately thin veneer that it is. Because the story blindness will always be an issue. And you can tell it will always be an issue because Amazon this week was reported to be looking into making company towns. Everything about a company, I mean, it, it certainly can if it wants to foment labor revolution. Everyone hates company towns. There are political and systemic solutions to the housing crisis, but making a feudal system, a quasi-plantation style system, a utopia New England factory town situation is not a solution. And we know that because it failed badly for the same reason that it would still fail badly now, which is people. People hate it. To talk back to your awful boss and lose your home immediately? Who thinks that's a good idea? But also that ideal, that blindness makes them blind to the fact that corporate overreach through the political system is ultimately bad for everyone. It doesn't feel bad. It feels powerful, but it is bad because it's surface. It's creativity, but it's creativity that doesn't deepen our experience. It limits it. One of the things that's really funny, given that she is at a university, is that the same incubation of entrepreneurship, biz school education, has a real tendency and vulnerability to fostering fake ideas. And her shout out to Theranos is a great example that 
the ability to tell that depth, to the ability to discern between the Sal Khans of the world and the Elizabeth Holmeses of the world is completely missing from that system. So if you're looking about stuff about the innovation cycle and business, that's what this book is. And it's approachable. It's good enough. But if you are looking for information on how our inexhaustible, delightful human creativity works, or how to create a world where we open and allow access to that support for others, this is not that book. If you're just joining us, I'm Janet McKenna-Lowry, and this is Working 9 to Thrive, a show about career, community, and creativity. Next up, international architect, designer, and feng shui expert, Kendra Gardner. With me today is Kendra Gardner, architect, decorator, and feng shui expert, and newly minted author. Welcome to the show, Kendra. Thanks for being on today. Thank you so much. It's such an honor and a privilege to be here. Oh, I'm so glad. So first of all, tell me about the book. I mean, we'll talk about community, career, and creativity, <laughs> but the book, this is new. This is great. Oh, yes, yes. So what I decided to do, uh, took my advantage of the lockdown situation is I wrote a little book called 24-Hour Magic, How Changing the Energy in Your Space Can Change Your Life. And it's basically an intro to feng shui. It's what, what I love all, all my clients to read before I come in. So <laughs> it's a little bit of a history of feng shui so you can kind of understand it because there's lots of different schools and theories and sometimes it gets really confusing. So yeah. I hope I kind of clear that part up. And then it's some like intro stuff for you to do. So like I say it's like the primer before you put on the paint. So some stuff to get started on to clear, you know, clear the clutter. That's something you do without paying a mm. practitioner to come in your house. So like why it's important, why every feng shui person tells you about it. So it gets the energy do, moving and some tips about curb appeal and how important it is to get energy to your house. So like some fun stuff to get you started, get you, you know, starting to play with the energy and setting up your space and, you know, little tips about feng shui for different areas of your house too. But I love that like intro. I love that. And actually that's, a big that's a big interest of yours right is like how how kind of the it's interesting to talk yeah. about because energy can either sound really woo woo and turn <laughs> turn people into like no but it's also yeah. like a real experience you have inside a structure like do you yeah. enjoy being inside the thing you're in and when you start yeah. talking about it that way or looking at it that way it suddenly becomes like yeah that's either a problem or fantastic Yes, yes. Like I, I've actually, like I've met a lot of people, especially, you know, with the whole architecture thing and architect being left, any left brain person. I'm like, you can tell the difference in how a certain space is. Like just like the example of clutter. Like, have you been in a cluttered space? You know how that feels, right? Mm -hmm. So removing the clutter, you know how that feels. So it's like, just understand that as like a basic way to kind of say like, it does feel better to be in this space versus that. Or my personal favorite is your space reflects you because you kind of constantly like you put stuff up of where you are. So if you have 
your subconscious does so many interesting things. So like the art you choose is something that's reflected in you. That's why you chose it. But mm. did you realize what you're choosing? Because it's saying something about you or where you are or other things in your house that you put up or where you put stuff. Did you realize on a subconscious level what you're doing to yourself? Or do you put stuff up that makes you feel bad? Do you realize you have little triggers in your space that are constantly making you feel bad? Like if you keep a, a rolling pin in your kitchen, I always love talk about clutter that isn't actual clutter, but it's like mind clutter. Yeah. If you keep a rolling pin in your kitchen because someone told you it's important to bake, but you hate baking, you never <laughs> use it. So every time you open the drawer and you see this rolling pin, it's like a little mini trigger of like, oh, well, you're a bad person because you don't bake. I'm not saying it's always that deep, but you're having this little mini trigger. So you can have tons of these all over your house that just make you feel guilty. That's a really funny thought with, with baking because I immediately thought that the message I get is you should bake. Like you haven't baked a lot. You should do that. Like it's yeah. almost like opening a cabinet on your mother. You should bake more. <laughs> exactly. Like they should have cut a wood drawer. Like, oh. Yeah. And it just, it creates this like little bit of guilt. Like, and you just, that's not what you need. Like yeah. you have enough of that that happens with stuff you should be doing or really want to be doing. Yeah. You don't need um, inanimate objects just, be, you know, beating you up emotionally. So. so how did you get into this? What, what made you kind of go... For and first so, of all, architecture, but also like just that almost a meta architecture about being in space and your interest in that. Well, architecture was, you know, when I was growing up, I was always really good in the science and math and I loved art. And like, you know, everybody tells you if you're good in science and math, you should be an engineer. But I'm like, well, I don't know about that. I still like the art part. And then I learned, <laughs> you know, I had my mom's home and garden magazines. I'm like, that's kind of cool. And that's kind of fun. So eventually I learned, you know, oh, this might be it. This might be my thing. And so. I went down that road into architecture. And while I was in school, how I learned about feng shui was I knew this woman who was a shaman, as you do, I know, but I knew this woman who was a shaman. And she had just met a feng shui practitioner and like this person had helped her bring in more clients by just simply putting like a bird feeder somewhere. So she's like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, you do architecture. You should know this. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. So I got a book and I was like, okay, kind of looked at it. I'm like, this is interesting. And then the way it kind of really nestled into me and came part of kind of like my fabric or core of design and feng shui was where I ended up working when I graduated. They actually had feng shui on their letterhead. The oh. original owner, she went to China and was so moved by what she saw there and she found out about feng shui and she's like, I'm taking this back home with me. So she put her money where her mouth was and encouraged any of her designers or anybody in the office actually, if they wanted to learn about it, she was going to pay for it. So back, way back when she first did it, she paid for everything. When I started, they paid for half, which is still better than nothing. So I took courses. I learned more. One of my mentors who I still talk to was the CFO of the company, but she was into it. So oh, wow. I don't think she expected the uh, CFO to be the one who'd be big on it. But so being in a place that encouraged it in design actually was probably why I was naturally kind of seemed it flowed, integrated to see it on that level and everything else. So for years, I kind of kept it on the side, like it was something I did on the side or someone asked me, but of late, I've been trying to do more with it where I integrate it in the beginning and, you know, think about how this is played out in your space so we can design it without having to fix it later. Yeah. Or if you do something funky, I'll energetically fix it, quote unquote, energetically fix it. But yeah. like, you know, if you do a weird cut, well, how would you fix it or make it energy flow better and everything else while designing it so that you don't have to do something weird later? Yeah. Okay. And then are you doing a lot of, are you doing a lot of new construction design or what, what kind of, what kind of architecture and design do you tend to do? Everything? Yeah. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, 
what I'm doing now, it's a mix between kind of uh, healthcare, more like, like smaller. And I used to do hospitals and stuff like that when I was living in Italy. But now I focus, it's more smaller. So it's more doctor's office, outpatient, urgent care oh. kind of facilities, as well as residential and multifamily. Yeah. And then I started my own business, which is energetic spaces, where I do everything and I integrate it. So I could do basic feng shui consults. I do feng shui astrology analysis, or I can just do the integrated design or just design. I could do any way you want to bring it in, not bring it in. Well, the, That's what I do. So the health piece of it's really interesting, like a doctor's office. So yeah. that people feel calmer in a like, wow. Yeah, kind of think about some stuff. Because some things, yeah, there, there's like little energetic games you can play that you can just think about ahead of time. Well, I've been it's in. It's interesting that I got into health yeah, <laughs> into healthcare. I've been in very uncomfortable doctor's offices a fair amount. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love the idea of, of sort of making an effort to, I mean, the payoff is you'll have calmer people. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Because you know, like there's all these different theories whether you go into it, but it's like, you know, like choosing your color palette actually does make a difference and stuff like that. That it's even it even makes a little bit no noticeable difference on your blood pressure and stuff. I mean, it does sound far out, but it actually has been proven. So it's not like it's insane well, if you know how to play with these things. What's funny is on the one hand it sounds far out, but I mean, we know that there's all this brain study and science going on that feeds mm -hmm. into things like our apps and our phones and if exactly that if that's worthwhile enough to spend you know hundreds of millions of dollars on every year to arrange our behavior for the app then the idea of sort of yes. using it for good in a physical space is really lovely i like to yeah. i like to that once you start thinking about it you can at least I can grab places in my mind where I just remember being so pleased to be in a given space. Like there's been a couple places mm -hmm. where I just remember it as being like the nicest place to be. The American, exactly, yeah. the, the Museum of the American Indian in Smithsonian, which is new, is one of those. I'm five six, and the oh, staircase okay. the staircase is perfect for someone who's five six. I just remember going up and down the stairs going, this is really nice. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. In fact, I had just read a feng shui book, so I was a little more sensitized to it maybe. I had built my house, but mm -hmm. it was like, oh, this is this is what it feels like when a staircase is effortless. Like, Yes. No, there's so much. Uh, like office spaces, because we're so used to like just pack people in there, but there's something about where we sit at a desk and your back is exposed. And if you um, do kinesiology, the muscle testing, if you test people, you can tell that they, they're weaker when their back is exposed and anybody can come at them versus when they face forward and they can't have that shock and scare. Because if you've ever had that where you have your back and someone comes up and yeah. you're jolted and all that, like that's horrible. Yeah, I had <laughs> a, a horrible experience. I put in a rear view mirror in one of my jobs so that that would stop happening. Yes. Like, exactly. And that is actually a mini feng shui cure. For oh, nice. Because, it was even yeah. people who would hang out at the door and not say yeah. anything because they didn't want to interrupt or whatever. But it was like, there is a presence in here. It's really <laughs> uncomfortable. 
<laughs> exactly exactly it's like these little things you're like oh it's nothing I'm like yeah but you, when you're feeling that it's horrible well, you're more productive as you can see out and how that. hilarious because you know once you say it I start thinking well yeah like we are we're carnivores so our eyes face front not to the side but we still have these senses of like that could be a saber-toothed tiger I mean that is not yeah a pleasant sort of way to go through the day <laughs> exactly exactly you know it's like yeah yeah it, it, it's like it seems so simple when someone says it but that's something you look at or think about with feng shui and how would you divine, design your office so that it isn't that your employees actually do feel comfortable and don't feel jolted or that you don't have them all aligned against the wall like they're robots or something like right. that like that does it does change the morale and the feeling of an office depending on how you that up. That's an interesting thought too. I was just um, I was just listening to something recently about how Google has made an effort to introduce or, or to I guess double down on the idea of employee safety. And I don't just mean physical safety, but I mean the safety to disagree, the safety mm. to like to ask for help. I mean in in COVID times and stuff. But that's a really interesting yeah. point too. That just a sense of, of what of ill at ease, a sense of safety instead of just always feeling a little on edge at the workplace seems like yes. It's not a perk exactly, but I bet you really feel the difference. That's interesting. You do feel the difference, and it actually makes you more productive. Like there's like, you know, if you do. I don't have the charts of so where the money comes in, but people are more productive where they feel safe or that they're not, you know, there's different things you do. Like if you're happy where you work, you're more happy to go in. You don't mind doing this stuff. You're not sitting there watching your watch, trying to sprint out at five o'clock. Yeah. I mean, there's other reasons as we've spoken about before why you might want to sprint out at five o'clock, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, don't make the space one of them. It's kind of that thing. It's like, make it someplace you kind of want to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I have thought a little bit about this, with, with the whole hot desking, I mean, no, no one's, we work collapsed spectacularly and I kind of felt like, <laughs> well, yeah, but also just a lot of places have that open plan and hot desking. And I feel like, I feel like what there was before was hardly friendly and the idea that they could find a way to be even less <laughs> comfortable by like many, either, either like, it's almost like cubicles are now the thing that are like hey you could have a cubicle lucky you and you're like no no that was always <laughs> awful too like <laughs> is there not any no. third option here? I know, I was like, keep coming keep coming keep trying to get me some. super yeah, uncomfortable exactly. incredibly uncomfortable or you know no <laughs> there's no third option yeah exactly exactly it's like the four offices that are well set up and everything else <laughs> yeah yeah are there do people i mean there must be people that study like i know there's a lot of studies about how uncomfortable you could be but studying how comfortable you could be in yeah these kinds of environments in your office yeah no there yeah. there is and there is like you know the different ways you set up offices so they're more sustainable and that you can make things better like you know that's the whole idea where they started putting offices on the interior versus the exterior so there's actually windows oh i remember i was visiting in an office that was obviously built in like the 90s and it's like all the executives are on the exterior and all the people are in the middle and you have no daylight and you don't know whether it's you know it's like you come in and you leave you don't know what how the time changes any of that because all the executives have windows it's like oh 
I do mm -hmm. appreciate why they started doing that, switching it in like offices with windows because, you know, the offices would be on the perimeter, but they'd have no windows, so the light can be filtered back in. Right. Ooh, that's so miserable. You're just in the inside, under fluorescent lights for, you know, eight to 10 hours. So you leave and go out. That feels like a, like a white color coal mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, all you get is fluorescent, but you don't know what time it is. Like, you came exactly. in the dark, you exactly. leave in the dark, and you have no idea what time it is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, there's so much stuff that revolves around forgetting that we are, like, meat-based people that are, you know, that have, you know, needs. Like, like the circadian rhythms that yeah. actually does help to feel the passage of time. Yeah. 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 What a strange, it's a strange place to have ended up, I feel like, sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I totally agree. Yeah. So, so uh, what are you working on now for for like your own creative projects and stuff? You finished the book, and I'll have a link uh, on our on our page <laughs> um, and in our notes on Facebook and stuff. But what else are you? What are you doing? What are you? What's next for you? That's a wonderful question. I still still doing both. Still uh, doing lots of little projects on energetic spaces. So. Like one of the fun ones I'm working with somebody on, which we'll see how this works out, but she wants to move to living in her van. Oh. So that's been an interesting, like, you know, because um, you can feng shui, you know, micro to, micro to macro, depending on what it is. You just kind of play with it and read how it is. So this to me is very interesting. It's like, how do we figure out how to make this, this brings new level to tiny housing, yeah. <laughs> like tiny houses, like tiny, how do we make tiny. this work? So that's, yeah, so that's kind of interesting. And I'm trying to talk to her and like, okay, we got to think of other things for protection and safety outside of even me. Because I'm like, um, hey, if I don't think a dog, because I'm kind of worried if you're going to be parking someplace by yourself. Right. And you're, you know, a man, I'm worried too, but a woman, especially by yourself, like, uh, I'm not getting a dog. I yeah. A big, scary dog. <laughs> so then that's a real tight quarters for a big dog. But how do, how do we so, fit a Rottweiler in the van with you? Exactly. <laughs> so where's this kennel? I don't know. So we're, <laughs> that's an interesting kind of like, it's like, it's, it's more of it for me, it's interesting, like, how am I going to make this puzzle piece work together? And she's like, where do you put your bathroom according to feng shui? I'm like, I don't know. Where are you going to put the basic bucket? Um, yeah. You know I mean, it's like, where, yeah, we're going to put on the odd corners. And so that's an interesting side project I, <laughs> yeah. I'm working on with somebody. And outside of that, it's, it's just kind of whatever kind of funnels in as far as nothing, no big, big, um, exciting projects. But what I'm actually introducing, and if you talk about going off into the weird energy things, is figuring out, I have a friend who does stuff with tech, and she can get biofeedback. She's a naturopath. Oh. And she has a thing that does biofeedback, which is really neat. So if you can go out there and like, it can do an aura scan, it can tell you what things are aligned. It could tell you your vitamins, box flowers, and all this other stuff. So I'm figuring out how to integrate that with feng shui so that I can use this to get the biofeedback and kind of the frequency and the levels of stuff so we can bring up the energy or the frequency of your space. So that's the new, a new thing that is actually so <laughs> my big. Isn't biofeedback hooked to people's bodies or is? It doesn't have to be. Oh, it is related to you, but the way that it's like, it's actually, on an app so like I think the way it was it was they they would do it because I've gone to a naturopath and they put little things on you to yeah. tell you your sensitivity for example like they have their own little things with the naturopath so she worked with someone who designed an app so it's basically taking the big huge machine she has and distilling it into an app interesting 
so and now I'm trying to figure out so she uses it on people so how am I going to use this on your you and your space so I could do it for you but then I can do it on your space and then trying to figure out how to create some stuff so I can do more with that so that's I mean, that's my next big I can definitely see even just using it on a person as they sit or move through the space they're in yes. as well like where do you even feel comfortable here like yes let's ramp that part up in the places you don't feel comfortable let's right like why. I can figure out which room is the best room yes like which because it's fun to figure out that like I I do these little tips on like Instagram and Facebook of like feng shui things and one of my absolute favorite ones and I watch it too is where your pets like to be because they're very sensitive and if you ever watch where your pets like to sleep and I mean especially if they like to sleep there and it's not because there's sun because you know they like to sunbathe yeah and it's not because you have tons of beds or something like that because it's a natural place but just like randomly they'll just sit on the floor it's not sunbathing they just like that room <laughs> take notice because there's a reason that room probably has really good energy that is and like, you really know, funny it's fun to watch because like at my parents house there's this one room and I, I agree all my life it has the best energy and um it's like all of our pets I've watched they all will hang out here it's That's the one room you'll catch really them just napping. Funny. Yeah. And it's north facing, so it's not that they're sunbathing. Yeah. It's so they just funny. know it feels good. So there's a room in this house that I live in that that I'm renting. It's it calls itself Zillow calls it a three bedroom house, and I guess that's technically true. But one of those bedrooms kind of got made out of the leftovers of when they decided to put an upstairs bathroom in like thirty or forty years ago or more. So it is this area that a friend of mine called the fat hallway because you have to go <laughs> through it to get to a bedroom and it just feels like mm. this large thing. So I just put a, a bright yellow comfy chair in there and an ottoman and right now that's all that's in there. And that is where the dog always is. She is in my yellow chair yeah. all the time. If you can't find her. She's That's in the yellow good. chair ignoring everyone when they're calling her. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. You said it, and I was like, oh, we have one of yep. those. <laughs> in fact, I find it yeah. really nice, which is why I put the yellow chair there. <laughs> exactly. You're like, I want to sit there, too. Yeah. yeah it's, it's really cool to watch that, because you can kind of do it. Because it's like, like at my parents' house, I think there's two rooms I think have the best. And it's, I purposely will, will hang out there. Like I, like I was staying at my parents' house and I won't do calls in my room. I'll do it in my, my mom's room because her room has really good energy. And yeah. I was just like, no, it's like, what are you? I'm like, I'll kick her out of her own room. Because I'm like, yeah, I have to have a private call. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm like, but I it's like, a good room and I can have privacy because the like, other room's not private. I like this room the best. Exactly. Like my room's good. It's not bad. It's not, it's not bad at all. It's good. But hers is just, I can feel it. So it's like, I'll go back. <laughs> It's really fun. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of, it's, and it's always good when you watch that. Like the pets, I find hilarious because you'll see that. Because my sister's dog, when she was really sick and she was here, she stuck to the two areas that I know had the best. And it's like, mm -hmm, yep, she's hanging out in that north facing room. She'd get up and like, and then she'd just hide there. She wouldn't go back upstairs because she's sick. So I get it. But she's yeah. like, always there. She'd like, come find you, say hi, and then go back to that room. And she'd go ahead and rest there. Oh, oh. So the, the three themes of the show are career and creativity and community. And a lot of those just overlap for people. But if it doesn't totally overlap for you, the career and the creativity, what other stuff do you like to make time to do? Oh, well, <laughs> I do feel like there's a lot of creativity in this. And actually, it's funny because I've been having some trouble trying to get that going because I've been so busy. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like, 
I realized one of those things I was trying to respect is like, you can't be exhausted and be creative. At least I'm finding it hard to have that creative fire when you're exhausted. Mm. So I'm like, all right, I need to rethink my time because I'm trying to think of fun new things to do with some feng shui stuff or like, I need ideas or some like create new ways of handling a space or like, you know, new marketing things, anything on the side like that. And I realized I need to create that space, that little like void. Mm. My friend would call it the fertile void where you can do that. So I'm like, all right, first we got to get myself, you know, more sleep. And then I'm thinking about ways to being creative. Like I need to rethink my schedule. So like I get up at six and I will make sure that from six to nine, it's my time, whether it's I exercise, whether it's like when I was doing um, with writing, it's like I write during that. I would work on projects for my clients during mm-hmm. that window. And then from, you know, nine to five, I do the other stuff. And then you know, this window is that, so I give space for the creativity, because a lot of times, some of my best, like, suggestions for people are stuff that I, like, think of, like, I, I mix the things that I know, so, like, I, I learned this in this one class, this is a feng shui tradition, but I think this is better, so I start playing with how to get that in there, so mm. that's part of what I do with the creativity, so the designing, obviously, if I can get to get some real design, <laughs> that's right. the fun, that's it, but trying to figure out how to bring that balances, because that that usually does get me happy yeah and then I love I love all sorts of fun stuff so like the other thing is I love jewelry I love shiny objects apparently so <laughs> that's where I started having lots of fun like creativity like oh what if we and play with that oh these stones I like playing with gemstones because I love jewelry and then I think they're kind of neat and interesting so and is that's that one of my, is that one uh, of those things where you like to go source it or you like to make it or both um both mm. I don't make a lot I actually do it's like I I think <laughs> I'd have too much you know one of the things I used to love to do I just don't have as much time as sewing and it was mm. more because like I love the finished project <laughs> the product of like I'm impatient on the making but I like the idea of having a thought and it become an outfit or it becomes something because I couldn't find what I wanted like yeah. being six feet tall it was never easy so <laughs> growing up my mom could sew so you know you could like have some fun like I want a red dress that's kind of like this so you just had to find the two and so then it kind of came more fun as I got older, like, oh, well, I want it out of this weird material and I could put this together and have some fun. So yeah, that was the other outlet that I get to get, if it's not like in the design stuff, like, you know, spaces and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And how about community? How do you find ways to, and community is very broadly defined. All of these are broadly defined. <laughs> community. Well, I wish I could do more, but obviously right now it's kind of, yeah, is the challenge of uh, feng shui. Like I love when I get to talk to different groups, especially in different things. I feel like you can use feng shui in any way, every way possible. So I love to get like the random groups that I could get talking to. And then I, I do have like a lot of groups that I'm a member of, which I have my like, you know, my fun family that we talk about energy. So I like that I have the people who I have my architecture friends. We can talk about design and architecture. Then I have the stuff that talk about the energy, which is how I, you know the naturopath who had this whole app so I love being able to like mix everything because there's a school in feng shui which depending on what you study whether you like it but it's called black hat sex and the idea is that it takes everything you've ever learned and you use it mm. so to oh, me I like goodness. I love yeah so it's like that's kind of how I approach it because it's like I learned something that's a shamanistic thing or if I took another crystal class oh that's what that crystal kind of is like oh okay or I take a new design class or I take something else about you know being efficient on energy like anything I know I put in and I love being able to use that so like 
I do take all the stuff. So like I, I was studying on the whole box flowers and I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know how to use that in feng shui per se in your space, but I could tell somebody, you know, this box flower is good for you. So maybe we can get your energy up. The space will support you while you get your energy up or, you know, like there's certain box flowers that are really good if you're like kind of depressed. So like, okay, do that. Or if you're going through like, um, like you just had surgery and you're trying to go into recovery, sometimes it's great to use Rescue Remedy, that box flower. Mm, yeah. So like giving that to somebody. So let's make your space supportive, but I want to give you some box flower remedies that could help too. Not saying I'm an expert. It's kind of, I would casually tell you this or knowing what I know about essential oils. So I can use that because I love, I love essential oils. I love smells and all that, but mm. there's certain ones that are better for other stuff. And so it's like in your bedroom, feng shui might say this, but then I learned about this and the synergistic properties of that so I'm learning from these people know about essential oil so I love being able to tap into that community so then if I have a client that we're doing something I'm like I know someone who's an expert in I know a lot of people have like random specialties so I have this wonderful friend Karen I'll be like Karen um working on essential oils I think this is it could you tell me like a good way to use this essential oil and not to use that other one so I can talk to her and like kind of play with how we can help each other right do this and that so I love I actually have a really good community for that kind of stuff where it's like people who, who know a lot about one thing, so you can kind of tap into that and we can all help each other make things better. I like that. I like that. I'd like to thank Kendra Gardner for joining us today. Tune in next week to hear the second half of our conversation. You can hear other episodes or find out more about us at working9tothrive.com. That's with the number nine. And follow us on social media.